CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Right now on OA, the Silicon Valley bank failure sending stocks lower and spiking volatility big time. Tonight, we will look at how the options market is pricing the action and what it's signaling ahead for regional banks, the broad market, and a lot more. Plus, another economic bellwether reporting next week, FedEx. It's had a strong run so far this year, but can it keep delivering as the consumer shows signs of slowing down? And later, it's not all doom and gloom. The semis have been a safe place to hide out this year. We've got a way to hunker down in tech of all places. I'm Sarah Eisen, in for Melissa Lee tonight. This is Options Action, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Mike Coe, Brian Stutland, and Tim Seymour joining us. But first, we've got a news alert. Layoffs at Meta, Julia Borston with the details. Julia, what do we know? What do we know? Whoops, so sorry, so sorry, Sarah. Here's what I got for you. Meta is declining to comment, but the Wall Street Journal is reporting that there could be another series of layoffs that would match the layoffs done by um, by Meta last year. Last year, they lined off about 13% of their employees. That was 11,000 people at the time. The Wall Street Journal saying there could be several rounds of layoffs that would accomplish sort of a meaningful number of, of employees dropped in the same range as what they saw last year. Now, in terms of what types of employees could be fired. It could be people in the category around wearables, um, which are certainly not in the core meta business, which is about advertising. Um, Also, a lot of conversation about how these would be non-engineering roles, people in areas such as marketing and the likes. But we got a no comment from Meta. Um, I would note that the last time there were these layoffs, there was a big headline in the Wall Street Journal on a Sunday, and the layoffs were on a Wednesday. So we'll see if it follows in a similar cadence. Back over to you. Julia, thank you. Meta getting a mini pop after hours here, up almost 1%. Mike, I mean, as perverse as it is, the market likes the the cuts, right? Likes the the cost cuts and the layoffs, especially from a company like Meta. Well, you're hitting it right on the head there because, of course, you know, one of the big criticisms for Meta has been the massive investment that they had been making in the metaverse. And they really felt like Zuckerberg's strategy was a little bit misguided. You know, he indicated a pretty strong pivot recently with the prior set of layoffs and also recognizing that maybe the investment was too large and too aggressive. And, you know, it's interesting, of course, because this is a company that could probably afford to to keep all of those employees. In any case, they still have significant good free cash flow, even net of the current employee base of about 86,000 employees. So, you know, this is just, uh, you know, an aggressive move. And I think they're trying to send a signal. You know, I saw it reported earlier this week that one of the things that Zuckerberg was trying to get ahead of is that he wanted to be on site essentially when the layoffs are announced and he's going to be leaving for paternity leave soon. And I think this is just basically trying to take some ownership of that. And I I think he has been doing it at least over the last two reported quarters. Brian, that has already had a pretty nice run so far this year and partly on this thesis that they are trimming costs and and getting more efficient. The year of efficiency, as Mark Zuckerberg said. (laughs) 
Do you continue yeah, to buy it? it? Well, it's an interesting play here for one reason, and it's a top holding in the NASDAQ. And what we've seen is NASDAQ growth type names have done very well as soon as the market feels like the 10-year note and interest rates on the back end of the curve are not going to go above 4%. It's like all of a sudden, hey, we can borrow money cheap again. We can uh, The dollar might weaken also, which helps some of these large mega cap names. And Meta's been a beneficiary of that. And so that's a name you talk about Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta. These kind of names are going to do very well in an environment where this 10-year note sort of stabilizes. And if what's going on in the banking crisis, it's probably going to pull everything else, else down with it. But NASDAQ growth names might be back in favor. That's been the rotation we've been seeing all year. At some point, all these tech layoffs are going to factor into the macro data. Well, haven't seen it much, but they, they will. And, and on some level, that's going to be good news. Again, we print we have a three-month average of 350,000 jobs. But quickly on Meta, which is up 103% since you know, October, this is a cash flow machine, and when you remove expenses, it's even more of a cash flow machine. Their, their last earnings, they talked about giving more capital back to investors. This, this, to me, is a stock, and it's a chart you still want to stay in. It's a good, good news. Up now almost 2% after hours. Let's talk about the broader market. Stocks plummeting today as Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest in the country, shuts down. It is now the biggest bank failure since the global financial crisis. The fallout sending shockwaves throughout the broader market. The S&P 500 dropping nearly 1.5%. It's now barely positive for the year. The Dow falling 345 points and locking in its worst weekly performance since June. And then the Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly 2%. Regional banks getting swept up in the Silicon Valley saga with the KRE losing another 4% plus today. And then for the week, down 16%, worse since March 2020, depths of the pandemic. So, Mike, how much more options activity did we see this week in regionals compared to what you would normally see? Uh, I mean, it, the multiples are almost hard to get your arms around because they really are just that big. And, and really, you know, people are betting in both directions. So, you know, a, a more regional bank to where I currently am, which is First Republic, you know, this one saw huge volumes and it was a lot of put activity, traded more than 40 times its average daily options volume today. And, you know, it was mostly short dated put buying. Now, you know, I think some of this is a little bit overblown and we are seeing evidence of that in some of the other names like Zion Bank Corp, for example, also saw about 30 times its average daily volume. But there people were betting that the washout that you saw in the shares were actually overdone and that they're not likely to get swept up in this contagion. So that a lot of that activity was call buying. Um, you know, Key Corp was another one that saw huge volumes and, and also PacWest. You know, I, it seems that uh, where we're seeing the bearish activity is very closely related to the proximity of the bank to Sand Hill Road. It seems like people are thinking that maybe this is going to uh, basically impact really regional. It's a super regional problem, basically close to Silicon Valley. But my suspicion is that this is not actually going to infect some of those other banks. I'm, I'm thinking that this is probably going to be contained to uh, Silicon Valley Bank Corp. Brian, do you agree? Well, I mean, we have seen activity also put options in the KRE that exploded enormous open interest on the downside there. And sometimes we don't really know where some of this volatility or will this contagion is really going to end. Mike makes some good points is maybe it's kind of located to just one specific area of the country, a couple maybe banks around that area that were involved in it. And so hopefully this gets contained. But when you look at the markets and the level of volatility and the trading that went on, this is very similar to Bear Stearns 2008. That actually occurred March 10th as well. 
Bear Stearns, we saw a massive sell-off in the market then. We got a little bit of a rally back. And a few days later, March 16, 2008, Bear Stearns got taken under at two bucks a share. So then from there, things started to rally again. So we'll see if that same thing plays out. If some of the bigger banks in the world come in and take some of this bad debt off the table, which I'm hearing talks that they are out there. I think that's why the JP Morgans of the world did so well relative to some of these mid-regional type banks, because they're out there looking to scoop some of this stuff up and, and turn things around. And so we'll see if that's a factor next week once there is this sort of washout. I think Mike well, wants Bear to, Stern I don't know started what, disagree. It, too, it went to 10. Yeah, go ahead. Bear Stearns started at two bucks and it went to 10. I mean, there was a lot of pressure when they announced that $2 a share takeout of Bear back in the day. And eventually they actually ended up raising that bid. I mean, of course, the contagion fear is that if people just get concerned about regional banks in general and say, you know what, I'd rather be at JP Morgan uh, or Citibank or Bank of America, uh, and they're looking basically for a money center bank, then that, of course, is, uh, is exposure that any regional bank could face. But I don't think they face the same kind of real uh, problems that Silicon Valley did. Couple quick things. I mean, this is the we had a 4.3 percent intraday peak to trough move in the S&P, and we had two-day biggest move in the VIX since we've had since Jan of 22. Um, this tells you, uh, I think, where the psychology of the market changes. But I think we're all pointing out they're trading ranges to these stocks. Markets aren't going straight down. And, and I think we're going to have a breath of fresh air once we get through next week. We have a CPI number. The following week we have a Fed. There's a lot going on out here that I think can also give people a slightly different sense of how aggressive either the Fed has to be. Um, and again, the extent of the damage. And it, you know, Bear Stearns was a case Even when. Even if we get a, a, a hot inflation print next week, I still don't think they can go 50. I don't think they can crisis. go 50 either. Um, I, I think we're going to get more data. And I think that's part of what's going to help the market. We've, so you mentioned the volatility, huge move in the volatility index as the markets digested the SBB fallout. The VIX surging nearly 10%. It's now up 34% for the week. Mike, what do you make of that move? Yeah, I mean, uh, what's interesting is that a, a VIX level at 25% uh, probably represents average daily moves in the S&P implied by the options market of about 20%. So uh, annualized. So that's a, you know, we're looking at one and a quarter percent uh, per trading day. And, you know, I, I think we did see levels that high last year. I mean, we could go a little bit higher here. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we ticked up to the level of around 30 or so, which is basically where we got last year. Um, but my thinking is that we're probably not going to be seeing that kind of day-to-day uh, -day volatility, at least I certainly hope we won't, uh, day in and day out. One and a quarter percent moves every single day on average would be be very high. That's what the VIX is implying right now. And I think that's a, a little bit too high, frankly. Brian, what do you make of this level on the VIX? Yeah, I mean, there, there is some data behind that because we looked at, we saw March 30 call sellers actually today as the sort of move, the morning transitioned into like noontime, 18,000 March 30 calls traded. That was a seller there. Maybe that was somebody taking off calls that they were once long. But basically that trader is saying, hey, the VIX is not going to get above $30 or 30 points, I should say, by call it a week and a half, really, when those things expire. So maybe the level of volatility simmers down and we'll see what happens. Mike makes a great point. One and a half, one and a quarter percent moves, daily moves in the market is going to be enormous. People will feel that shock. But as we see bank contagion happens, what happens is, is there's a there's a snowball effect that trickles into credit. Once credit starts having wishy-washy deterioration, that trickles into the stock market. And it's not uncommon to see the VIX spike to 30 in these sort of scenarios. So you've got to be careful. I saw a little taste of it earlier today. Maybe that continues next week after we get a rally or some sort of relief rally. 
All right, still to come, we're going to turn to the health of the consumer and transports because we've got two big earnings reports next week. Nike and FedEx will set the table with our traders. And for everything's options action, be sure to check out our website and our newsletter. We've got more options action coming for you right after this. Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Deirdre Bosa has some fresh reporting on the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Deirdre, just keeps coming. What have you learned? It keeps coming. So the focus today has been mostly on private cash-burning startups. So now we're finding out public companies, they're affected too, like Roku, which you guys just spoke about. And remember that Silicon Valley Bank was so intertwined in the startup and tech community, it has held deposits for many late-stage companies pre-IPO. And I'm hearing that there are likely more public companies to come out and say that they still have cash there or that they don't to reassure investors. More questions than answers for now. I've been on the phone all day with founders and investors in tech. They're all wondering what is next. How much money are they going to receive on Monday? And will they be made whole eventually? These questions are most urgent for those cash-burning startups who weren't able to get their money out in time, and they now have bills to pay. I spoke to one founder, Sunny Singh, who just raised his seed round and was about to deposit it in SVB, a newly opened account. He dodged a bullet by waiting, but now he's in a tough position because he faces more uncertainty, which is still percolating through the tech ecosystem. We've started issue employment letters for next week to start paying people and set up payroll and all that. So that's all going to be delayed now and all that stuff and finding office can be delayed. So we hope, depends on how quickly we can onboard this new bank, which for a crypto company could take one day to three months. It kind of puts everything in jeopardy right now. Sarah, he is not alone. He says that he's in a chat group with many other founders and they're worried about making payroll because they use the startup Rippling to process them. Rippling banks with SVP. And I just can't under overstate, I cannot overstate how intertwined this bank is in the system that we're only seeing the beginnings of this ripple effect throughout tech. Yeah, and I wonder if we're going to see startup failures as well to that point. Deirdre, thank you. We've got more details on the public companies as well that have deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. As we mentioned, we hit Roku. Bertha Coombs has been tracking that angle. Who else, Bertha? Well, SoFi Technologies, for one, is saying that they do not have assets with Silicon Valley Bank. However, it does have approximately a $40 million lending facility, which is unaffected by the FDIC's receivership. Meantime, Rocket Lab in an AK says that it has approximately $38 million with Silicon Valley Bank. That amounts to nearly 8% of the company's total cash and cash equivalents and marketable securities as of December 31st. And Roblox coming out saying that it has $3 billion of cash and cash securities as of February 28, 2023. About 5% of that is held at Silicon Valley Bank. The company says thus, regardless of the ultimate outcome and the timing, this situation will have no impact on the day-to-day operations of the company. I am sure we're going to continue to hear these 8Ks, Sarah, because a lot of folks want to reassure investors that they aren't affected by this. Yeah, don't want to put their name with SVB, but obviously want to assure them. Bertha, thank you. Bit of a theme there with the with the companies that 
well, uh, banked with So SVB. when this kind of stuff goes down, you look at some of the other companies that could have exposure. Or to me, this is a, a time to look at companies that have credit exposure and maybe unrelated to SVB. And SoFi is one of them. You know, I was doing some work on them earlier today. In fact, you know, they use fair market, fair value accounting rather than holding reserves against loans. J.P. Morgan had a, 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 a note out where they talk about their discount rate assumptions used to value their 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 loan portfolio are not keeping rate uh, keeping pace with interest rate rises. So again, um, are they marking to market? This was a big issue for SVB. They had to mark to market. They had to take some losses because they had to meet a liquidity run. Um, SoFi is another one of these companies that's a fintech company, but it's also a company that's got, if anything, more exposure to consumers and 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 parts possibly of a lending world that I, I think could be under more pressure. So that's the kind of story today. That's tomorrow's story. I'm not saying SoFi uh, no, is anything close. No I, I, my point clear. is simply to say you have to look at how companies are valuing their assets, what their books look like. Yeah, liquidity issues are roaring back here. We're going to continue to follow the story for you. A lot of breaking news. More options action right after a break. Welcome back to Options Action. Shares of Nike virtually flat for the year. And with earnings on the horizon, Mike Coe has both the bull and bear take on the name. Mike. Yeah, so this is a stock that we actually own. I mean, it's growing at probably 7 to 12% annualized. Looking at that through 2025, they're really performing on the digital side, probably reaching 60% of sales by 2025. And they really are executing in terms of speed to market. And they have an upside opportunity in the form of women's shoes and apparel. The thing is, it's trading 32 times forward, and it's a high beta name in a rough environment. And right now, the options market is implying an above average move. And of course, the implied volatility rising along with the rest of the market at the short end of the curve. And to me, the way to take advantage of that is with a diagonal call spread. I was looking at a March 24th, April regular uh, diagonal call spread, buying the 120s of April, selling the 125 calls in March 24th expiration. The idea here, taking advantage of that elevated short uh, volatility that we see as a result of earnings, but getting to own basically, uh, you know, just out of the money upside call longer dated. Love a diagonal call spread. Tim, I, I, you, you, and I know, and you don't love me for being short because no, Sarah I thinks no I, I actually have a I short just position. I you said it last time, and it, I challenged you. I, it's on American, um, but when it trades at a thirty percent premium to its low PE over the last five years. Do you think this is an environment where it should be doing that? It, this is best of breed. So let's be clear. Uh, some of the, da- the data that we got on their inbound digital uh, shows momentum. And, and, and I think it's actually probably some conservative estimates out there for them. This is a multiple story. This is where EPS is going. Uh, the, the mid single digits EPS through Kager through 25. I don't know. I, I think, I think you, this, this does not get away from you on the upside is part of my call. And I think it's expensive. From Nike to Microsoft, shares down nearly 6% over the past month. But Brian's got the way to play the tech stock. If you think a turn could be in the works here, Brian, what do you do? Well, we talked about it at the top of the show. If 10-year interest rates stay cheap, if the dollar sort of weakens, this has played very well in the past for Microsoft based on our macro models. And here's a stock that's pulled back. There's been a huge rotation. Things like SMH, though, semiconductors have been up. They've stayed in there. They've kind of hung in the game so far this year. And they tend to be a leading indicator to the NASDAQ. Microsoft moves so much like the NASDAQ. There's an option trade out there I really like that would play all the way through their next earnings. I'm taking a look at May options and selling a downside put at a level that's basically the 50% retracement from COVID low to high in 2022. That's 235 put. If I sell that for 775, I then use those proceeds to buy the, the May 265 call 
for 750. Net net, I'm going to collect a quarter here. So if nothing happens, if we sort of get this lot of volatility back and forth in the marketplace, I'm still going to collect income. I'm not having to own Microsoft until it gets below 235. And then if we get any sort of rally, NASDAQ rotation happens like we saw to start the year, I get to participate mm -hmm. to the upside with unlimited upside. So I kind of like this trade the way it's structured and plays out now and through May. All right, Brian, got it. Up next, as the market grapples with so much uncertainty, our traders will, our traders will lay out ways to hide out from any coming storms when Options Action comes right back. As we wrap up a huge week, let's take a look at how to play the week ahead and how to keep your money well protected. We're talking safety protection here. Mike, kick us off. Yeah, so I owned the 3950 puts in the SPX coming into this week. I spread those and now out of put spread. And I think that's what you want to look at. You're looking for payoffs of maybe two and a half, three to one, I think, because really you can't buy insurance when the house is on fire. It's just really sort of the worst of disaster protection that you're seeking at this point. Brian? Yeah, I tend to look and we play for clients, VIX futures and spikes futures. We were owners of those this week. We hold those about a nine to one ratio if we hold stocks against those. I think if we get a dip, Mike was probably right at the top of the show. Maybe the VIX doesn't really hang around 25, but I can't imagine it doesn't retest the levels we saw intraday if there's these other contagion effects from this. If there's a pullback in VIX, I'd want to be a buyer of some sort of futures contract as a hedge against my stock portfolio or some risky asset because I think we get a retest mm. in the upper 20s for VIX or spikes futures as we go into March expiration. We got a CPI number. We have a Fed meeting on March futures expiration date. That's going to maintain volatility in this marketplace for the next couple of weeks. You going with the dollar? Well, I, the dollar is, I think, your friend right now. So I, I think after a four and a half percent rally in the dollar today was about, you know, as the Fed, yeah. you're saying no way on 50. I agree with that. Um, I also just think that buying international div paying companies that are actually high grade companies, a Novartis, a Diageo, I advise on an international ETF strategy, finding these companies, because I think the dollar is now your tailwind after having done that, after having that been a headwind for almost 18 months. But if you're so. buying the dollar for safety, things are not going well. I, I, I agree. And I, I, I think we're not at that stage. We may get there. All right, guys, thank you very much for joining me tonight. And that's going to do it for us on Options Action. A reminder, we're back next Friday for you, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, as always. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.